that uh, we call our church prayer. Uh, and you can get a copy of it at the welcome desk or we've got it online. It's a prayer that we've written as a church that really expresses our heart of what we believe God wants us to be doing as a church, which is to be a church that makes disciples wherever we go. That it's not about here on Sunday. It's about equipping people who love Jesus in this church that wherever they go, they're showing people the love and the light of Jesus. Before we pray, I want to give a shout-out to Jenny Smythe, who she and John last night hosted a Christmas in July dinner as part of the Connect ministry, this new ministry we've started. How many people were in your home last night? 29 people in their home. It was a fantastic night. Thank you for hosting. And I'd encourage you um, to be a part of that ministry. What's the next event, Jenny? Cool. So we'll, we'll have details about that coming out uh, in due course. We have a, an email that we send out to the church each week. If you don't get that, if you would like to get that, if you would like to know more about our church or respond to anything you hear, then the best way to do that is to fill out a, a hard copy response card at the desk out there or fill it out online at flbc.org.au slash respond. Uh, but that email is the main way that we get news out to the church. So we'd encourage you to... to uh, in, Log on and, and do that. That would be awesome. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for the truth of the songs we've been singing, that we can call upon the name of the Lord. Like, what an invitation that is. That Almighty God says, call upon me. I'm, I'm waiting for you to call. Father, I pray that whatever obstacle is in the way of anyone here today from taking that step of calling on the name of the Lord, that obstacle will be broken down today in the name of Jesus. And that we will all call out on the name of the Lord in, for whatever it is in our lives that uh, is, is, is a barrier, is a hindrance. Father, we pray for those in our church who are unwell at the moment, especially uh, for Frank, who's been in hospital, Frank Bond, with this infection that just doesn't seem to go away from his operation. We pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to his body. We pray, Father, for all the families in our church at the moment, especially those with young kids who are just experiencing uh, sickness and the flu and all the rest of it. Father, thank you that you are with us even in those moments when we're up late at night with sick kids. You're there. You're with us at every moment of the day. You're with us in the moments when we're stressed at work or we're facing difficulty there. And you're with us when with our brothers and sisters in places where it's a crime to love the name of Jesus. That whatever situation we're in, whether here at, at church or at home or work or anywhere in the world, you say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, I just have a sense that there is someone today who needs to hear those words very clearly in the situation in which they find themselves. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. Thank you for that promise. We pray this prayer, Lord, as we, we prayed so often now in this church. Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all that you have done and continue to do through Forest Lake Baptist Church. Make us a church who look at people with the eyes of Jesus, serve people with the hands of Jesus, speak to people with the words of Jesus, and listen to people with the heart of Jesus. Unite us in the vision you have given us to be disciples who make disciples, wherever we are and wherever we go. We believe you will equip and resource us to be a sending, planting, equipping and multiplying church 
where you will do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine as you bring revival to our community. We praise and thank you for what you're doing and we will follow where your spirit leads. We ask these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Excuse me. I don't know if anyone saw the 7.30 report this week, I think it was on Tuesday night, where they interviewed a couple of older couples who have found themselves in really serious debt. And particularly in this regard, it was credit card debt. And both tragic stories of uh, people who have got themselves into such a mess financially that in one case they turn the lights off when, it gets, when the, the sun goes down because they can't afford the electricity bill anymore. And there was this, there's some statistics they gave which really were shocking, but at the same time we shouldn't be shocked. It's just that we, the problem of the credit card debt and the debt epidemic that we have in Australia at the moment has largely gone unsaid because, well, the debt we have is to banks and banks pay for the advertising on the TV, so they're not going to go talking about those issues too much. But right now in Australia, let me just give you some... I love statistics. 1.9 million Australians have problematic credit card debt. Now, what they mean by problematic is that they are in a credit card situation where they have a credit card debt that is so significant that they don't know how they will ever pay it off. As far as they're aware, they will probably die with this debt. 1.9 million Australians. Salvation Army Financial Counselling, if you, if you saw the report on the 70, 7.30 report the other night, they mentioned this. In the last 12 months, they, they tallied up all the calls they received from people needing financial counselling. 49% of the calls they received were because of credit card debt. What it tells us is that in Australia, and I've said this before, we have a situation where, ranked among all the nations, Australia is now number one in the world for household credit card debt compared to income. In other words, the debt we have of credit cards compared to our household income is the highest of anywhere in the world. Yay, we are number one. But if you want to be really, yay, we are number one, is that this area, Forest Lake and Arla, is the number one area in Australia. We as a community, think about this, we as a community have the highest level of household credit card debt of anywhere in the nation that has the highest of anywhere in the world. What does that tell us? I think what it tells us is that we are being, sorry, scissors would be a good start, yes. But it says something about the heart, I think, which tells us that we really do look for money to give us security or somehow to to meet something inside of us that is missing, that somehow if we just have that thing, that the neighbour, what if the neighbour sees that we don't have that thing? Well, we better get that thing so that we seem to have that thing and that way if I have that thing, people will know I have that thing and I'm all that. It doesn't work. Someone once asked a millionaire who had more money than anyone in the rest of the United States and they said to him, how much more do you want? And he said, just a little bit. That's the thing with money. Doesn't matter how much you have, just a little bit more. And in Australia, we are getting caught in this credit card situation where we are spending ourselves so far beyond our means to try and meet this need inside us that what's happening is instead of where we think money is going to bring me happiness, and I know we all say, oh, money can't buy happiness, but it doesn't hurt. But, you know, if, if I just have enough, a bit more money, a bit more money, I'll be happy. If I just have that thing, I'll be happy. The reverse is happening in Australia where we're happy when we get that thing at Christmas 
but then in January when the credit card bill comes, we're not so happy anymore. And Paul addresses this in a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth, the letter of 2 Corinthians, he addresses the issue of money. And as a church, over the last couple of weeks and on to next week, we're looking at this idea of money. And the reason is not because we want more, but because God talks about money because he knows that where our money goes, there our heart goes. And see, God doesn't want our money. He's got lots. He's God. But God wants our heart. And he knows that our hearts follow our money. And so last week we looked at the, the trying to get this, our mind around this idea that as Christians, as people who love the Lord Jesus, as our Lord and Saviour, that our money isn't actually ours. It's God's. We talked about the idea of grace, God's unmerited favour, that if we have money, I mean, if we have anything, we have it by God's grace. Even if you have worked for it, the skills that you have that have meant that you have earned that money are skills given to you by God. Everything we have is ours because of the grace of God. And Paul even took it a step further last week when he said to be generous is grace. Like, if we understand the economy of God, we understand that when we have an opportunity to be generous to someone with our time or our money or our skills or whatever it is, that moment is actually a grace gift of God to us to have the opportunity to be generous. And so Paul goes on this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 to say this, Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little." See, the Corinthians fundamentally had a a problem that Paul wanted to address. The Corinthians thought that God's grace to them was for them. And if you went to a Corinthian church service, I think what you would have found is you would have been impressed. Because he says there, you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence. I mean, they they were the sort of church that excelled. If you went there, you would have loved the music. If you went there, you would have loved the sermon because the preacher would have been wearing a pineapple shirt. Like, they were a cool church. They probably gave you a really good cup of coffee as you walked into church, something I'm a big advocate for, but we haven't got there yet. But we'll get there, God willing, one day. If you went there, they would have had the best PA. They would have had the best AV. It would have been awesome. They would have had ministries that would rock your socks. And yet, Paul says to them, you've missed the point. You excel in all these things, and that's awesome, that's great. I'm not saying that excellence in ministry isn't important. 
but you've actually missed the most important thing, which is love and grace. And he says to them back in 1 Corinthians 13, I can have all knowledge, I can speak the language of angels, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. Love is the bit that matters. And so he says to them, it's great that God's blessed you, it's great that you've got all this stuff, church in Corinth, but if you're not exercising love and grace, it doesn't matter. And he says to them, uh, excel also in this act of grace. See, they were obsessed with status. They wanted to excel to be the church that everyone looked at. But Paul says, no. Verse 9, look at Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Years ago, I went to a church a camp for a university group. We had this Bible college lecturer from Sydney speak, and he was amazing. His name was Bruce, and he, he, he talked at a level about the Bible I had never heard. And it was one of those things where it was a five-day conference uh, camp. We did two talks a day, so ten talks from this guy over the week. And he was so good and so smart at the Bible, like after a session, my brain hurt. Like he was brilliant. And a couple of years later, I ran into a guy that was a, a student at that college. And I said, oh, I met this guy from your college. His name is Bruce. He was amazing. And he said, oh, yeah, I know Bruce. And I said, uh, tell me about Bruce. And he said, yeah, well, he, next door to his home, his house, is a, is a place that is a, a daycare centre for little kids with disabilities. Every second day, Bruce, on his way home, drops in there for an hour or two and he sits on the carpet and he plays with the little kids with disabilities. And if they want to play trucks, he plays trucks. And if they want to play tea sets, he plays tea sets. And if they want to sing silly songs over and over again, he'll sing the silly songs over and over again. And it just occurred to me that I was looking at Bruce going, wow, what an amazingly smart guy. But the people who knew him, what they, what they admired about him the most was that he got love. He got Jesus. Because what he says there is, you know the grace of Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. And it taps into this old idea that Christians used to use about Jesus and you don't hear it so much anymore. It's called the condescension of Christ. Now, if I speak to someone in a condescending way, you'll get upset with me. Because to condescend to someone is to speak to them lower than they deserve. But here is the wonderful truth of Jesus. He lowered himself beyond where he deserved. Jesus, who was praised by the angels, who was the apple of his father's eye, who was the darling of heaven, looked at us at earth and said, they need a saviour, and he came and he died on a cross for us. Though he, counted, he didn't account quality as, with God as something to be grasped, Philippians says. Now, if I condescend to you, you get angry, and I can understand why you would. But Jesus condescended himself. He had the wealth of heaven at his disposal. And he became a poor carpenter in a no-name village, in a backwater part of the Roman Empire, and he died a criminal's death so that we could have the wealth of God for eternity. See, Paul's point is, if you think you have money and it's yours, and you're going to cling it, hold it close, 
it will become a rod for your own back. But if you take the attitude of Jesus, that what you have, you have to be a blessing to others, you will find joy and grace in that that is beyond compare. And so Paul goes on to say, I know what you humans, are, I know what we are like. And he says, in this matter, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you who began last year not only to do something but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task. Because we hear that kind of thing, don't we? And we go, oh, I'm going to be so more generous now. Like, look out, I'm going to be, the gen- I'm going to be known as Mr. Generous at Forest Lake. And it's a bit like when I rejoined the gym. I started so well for two or three weeks. And then cherry ripes came back into my life. And someone offered me a cherry ripe and I knew that I shouldn't have it. I mean, but you know, I remember the verse in scripture that says, receive everything from God's hand with thanksgiving. And I thought, Lord, it would be a sin, wouldn't it? Right? But don't we all do it? I mean, you look at, you, you look at Stamp Fitness just following Christmas, New Year's. You cannot get on any of the equipment. About February, it gets quieter. About March, there's hardly anyone there. We do it. We get inspired, don't we? We, And we we want to give and we want to be generous and we we want to get that on that diet and we want all these things that we know are the disciplines we need in our lives. But if we don't have the regular disciplines of life, Paul knows there, we won't finish it because we get sidetracked and... We find dodgy Bible verses to excuse eating cherry ripes. And so he says, I want you to finish it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he puts it this way. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will be made, need to be made when I come. See, we, one of the reasons we have an offering in church is so that we can get into the regular habit of giving. It's not so that we want your money. It's so that for our own Christian well-being, part of the disciplines of the Christian life is giving. Because if we don't get into the regular habit, then I think what happens is we give when we feel inspired, but then the other options come along and we don't feel so inspired anymore. But there was a study done of Christians in the US and they studied 4,413 people and looked at what what are some of the uh, distinctives about people who give regularly. And I found this really helpful and it made me understand better what I think Paul means in verse 10 there when he says it's profitable for you because that word profitable isn't just spiritually profitable, it's there is practical good to being a regular giver. And here's some statistics that I, I found really interesting. 80% 80% of those 4,413 people have no unpaid credit card debt. 70, uh, 48% own their own home compared to 27% nationally. And 28% are completely debt-free. Now, why is that? Well, I think God does say to give. And I think what he knows about our hearts is, and it may, and I know some people are going to jump and say, oh, well, it's because if you give regularly, God will meet all your needs. Well, the Bible says God will meet all your needs, full stop. But I think what giving does, and I, we found this in our own lives, is if you're going to go to God, and this, is, this was mine and Catherine's experience, when we went to God and said, what is it that you want us to give? And we, we believed that God gave us a figure, and that's what we, we stuck with. 
the only way we could do that without um, going into debt was to sit down and have a budget. And when you have a budget, you know where your money is going. And when you see what something is going to cost compared to what's coming in, you go, it's not so much worth that to me anymore. And I, there, there are many people in our society, and I'm not trying to be harsh here, but let's, let's talk honestly about what the credit card epidemic is doing to our society. We have so many people in our society who are crying out, I have no money, and yet they have the top-level Foxtel. And I'm not criticising Foxtel. I would like Foxtel, except, and the only reason we don't is that Catherine said I waste enough time that I'm not going to get the sports channel as well. <laughs> not having a go, if you've got Foxtel, God bless you. I don't care. Get Foxtel. Get Fetched. Whatever, I don't care. Fetch is another one. Get Stan, Netflix, who cares? But if you don't know where your money is going, how on earth can you be a good steward of it? And part of tithing means that we are deliberate and thoughtful about that with which God has entrusted us. And it tests our faith, doesn't it? Like a friend of mine is a pastor and he got up and he preached a sermon on, on giving and, and, and that we're stewards. And he had a couple come to him after the service and say, we believe God has challenged us to give this amount of money. Not just to the church, but in, um, with sponsored children and, and all the rest of it. And it was a, they, what they said to him was, we believe God is challenging us to give half of my wife's pay away. And we want you to keep us accountable to it. That's hard. Like it is hard. Especially in a society that says your value comes with how much you have. But the blessing that we receive from it is unbelievable. And so Paul says it's not there, it is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who has had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. Now Paul does something really cool here. He quotes a verse from Exodus chapter 16, looking back to when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. And they had no food and God provided bread from heaven for them, manna from heaven. And the rule amongst the Israelites from God was at the end, uh, uh, collect up the manna, the food from God. And whatever you can collect up, you keep whatever is enough for you. And then you look for the person in the community who doesn't have the capacity to collect. And you give your leftover to them so that no one is in need. And people, we read in Scripture that some of the Israelites collected up far more than they needed and thought, we're going to hang on to this, we're going to have extra because we can, and the stuff rotted in their tents. It was God trying to remind, or reminding the Israelites that what they had was never theirs to begin with. It's all by the goodness of God's hand. And so Paul is saying to us in the same way, if you have stuff, don't think you have stuff because it's yours. It's yours to be a steward, to be a blessing from God. And so he says that the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. There is this astounding generosity of heart 
that comes when people understand that what they have is not theirs. It's God's. And I know of uh, two families in this church in the last few years, and I have this happening on two occasions, where a uh, a family had a car and they were buying a new car, and they knew they didn't need the money from the sale of their current car, and they just gave it away to someone. I know that happened twice. And the blessing that that was to those other people, so much greater than any petty little happiness we're going to get by having stuff. Because stuff goes. See, the tithe principle that God talks about is not really about the 10% at all. It's, It's just not. The point is that what we have, we have to be a blessing to others. We have been given by God so that we can be a blessing from God to others. And someone asked one of my my heroes, Tim Keller, I love his preaching, and someone asked him once in his congregation, how much should I give? And Tim had this wonderful reply, look at the cross and then you'll know. In other words, how does what I do with my money express the love of Jesus to others? See, we don't give so we will be blessed. That's heresy. We don't give so that we will receive God's love. We already love. We're already blessed in the name of Jesus. We give because we have been blessed. We're generous because God's been generous to us. We love because we have been loved. And so what do we do with this? Well, I wanted to throw, I I, I thought in my own experience, what have been some moments in my life with the way I think about money? And I've got a long way to go in terms of money. My heart and my mind are not yet where they should be. But what are some of the things I've found in my life have helped me write the course? The first thing was for me to actually sit down and pray about it and ask God, what do you want me to give? For some people, it will be 10%. For some people, it will be more. For some, it will be less. Don't get stuck on this 10% thing. We'll talk about that next week. Start with saying to God, God, this is yours, so what do you want me to do with it? And then follow through. The second thing we did was we did a budget. And if you don't have a budget, less than 50% of Australians have ever done a budget for any purpose of any sort. But I don't know how we could ever think whether or not we have enough or don't have enough if we don't even know where our money's going. Like, if I, I know in my experience, if I don't have a budget, I, I'm like this. Like, oh, if I see that cherry ripe, I'm buying it. You think it's, I've, I've bought a lot of cherry ripes. If I see that thing in the window I want, if I'm not thinking budget, I go, let's have it. It's not good. And we live in a society that now says, tap and go. Don't worry about the cost. Just tap and go, baby. Worry about it when the credit card statement comes in and then convert all your credit cards, consolidate all your credit cards into another one and then go to the bank and get another loan and then go to the bank and consolidate those loans and they've got you forever. Like, friends, this is where we're at. Start with knowing what you've got. And then the third thing that we found helpful, this might be good for you, it might not, was because I am not good with having money in my wallet, I'll spend it. 
we made the decision to give online so that the money never hits my wallet that I've committed to go to other places to begin with. Because if it's in my wallet, I'll spend it. But if it's gone before I've had a chance to spend it, it's a discipline. And those regular, healthy disciplines are the ones that grow our heart. Some years ago when I was at Bible college, and I'll finish with this, I was given a Greek New Testament. We were given them for free by the Bible Society as students. Anyone who was doing Bible college got a free uh, Greek New Testament, and I, I loved it. I couldn't wait to get into the original Greek of the New Testament. And I was talking to the guy from the Bible Society after the lecture, and where he talked a bit about the Bible Society's work, and I said, where do you guys get your money from? Like, how do you fund what you do? And this would be, this would have been back in like 2005, 2006. He said, honestly, most of what we receive comes from people who give, have been giving a little bit regularly for a long time. That's where most of it comes from. Not that long around that time after that, or might have been just before it, my grandmother died, and she was a godly, beautiful old lady who had nothing. Well, she just had no money. She was so generous. I can remember one time, somehow because of a, a term deposit that my grandfather had set up without her knowing, it matured, and she had $6,000 that she didn't know where it would really come from, and she wanted to call the police because she thought, there is no way I should have six grand. I'm like, Grand, I can help you with what to do with it. Send it my way, Granny. Yeah, Cherry arrived. Could you imagine? Six grand's worth. Oh. Back on the farm. Uh, and the, when she died, I got a letter from the Bible Society saying our condolences on the death of your grandmother, because I was the executor of the estate with my dad. She has been one of our longest-term faithful givers in Bible Society Queensland. $10 every week for 40 years. I had, a Bible, I had a Greek New Testament. My granny bought that for me, and I've been blessed. It's not about the size of what you give. It's about the commitment and the discipline of regularly giving to what God says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that everything we have is from you. Thank you that you are generous to us. We see that in Jesus, that you bless us. You, you've promised you'll meet all our needs. We don't have to worry. We don't have to look for status in money because we already have a right standing with Almighty God. Oh, Father, for, for those of us who... The, the, the problem with money is that we're looking for it to give us our security. I pray that we would find our security in Jesus. And for those of us who are trying to find status in money, I pray that we would find our status in knowing that we are beloved children of God. Father, help each of us to take a step to continually reorient our hearts back to Jesus. We know that our hearts follow our money. For where our treasure is, there our heart is also. So help us to reorient our hearts and see what you do. We pray that in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.